0: The kids out of their coat. Welcome
1: to Teacher Besties, a podcast for teachers. I'm Jamie.
0: And I'm Kelly. On today's agenda, we will discuss what we're looking forward to and what we're going to miss about the summer, American college students and why they might prefer to go to school in Germany, Julie lithgott Haynes' new book called How to Raise an Adult and Basic Conversation About Helicopter Parenting. And finally, seven things people should understand about teaching. Okay, so where are we located? We are teachers in the Bay Area somewhere at public high schools. I am a high school English teacher.
1: And I teach social studies. I'm going into my fifth year of teaching.
0: I'm going into my sixth year of teacher, which I think is kind of a good spot for us to... Talk, right because it's like we have enough experience to have lots of things to talk about but we're also always figuring things out.
1: Uh, we're definitely not not jaded and uh, we're not claiming to know everything in the entire world this is just our experiences. We've worked at the same school for four years but really have only been like teacher best friends for two years two? I'd say. Yeah. Um, and having somebody that like is your person that you can go to to talk to is awesome and
0: we want to share that awesome component pretty much with the internet basically you need somebody on campus who you can see across the hallway if you are lucky and that you can call when you one need to pee to need somebody to come run doing things for you but mostly just somebody that you can go talk to when you are frustrated or when you have a great idea um, or and- when you think you have
1: a great idea but really it's kind of crazy <laughs> and you need that person to say hey yeah take a minute and think about what you're actually doing or when someone embarrasses you so bad aka a student and you don't know what to do or when you accidentally have that moment where you're like oh no I just mortified that child I think I need to go cry now
0: yes and some and you also need it to be someone that you can trust with their professional opinion right because they need to be someone that both like supports you but also will tell you no no do not do that step away from that decision Um, So anyway, this conversation is basically going to be about what we would normally talk about in those situations, um, but also just a lot of um, conversation about things that are in the media regarding teaching in basically any capacity. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great.
1: I go back to school next week, and so we were talking recently about how we take some time over the summer and like when it starts getting really close to school, what we do to prepare. Um, I would say our plans aren't much different than other teachers. Kelly moved this summer, so that was pretty traumatizing for her.
0: Very traumatizing, although positive in other ways, but new school. So I'm sure this year we will also be talking about what it is like to transition from one school that you've been at for like, you know, four or five years to a new school and what that is like.
1: The first part of the summer, relaxing. Well, you've spent packing, I spent lounging because... I was a lady of leisure.
0: Yes, I was packing and also taking care of a 15-month-old, which is not leisurely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have spent the past week and a half being pretty sad that school starting. not because I don't absolutely love my job, but because having to prepare your brain to interact with so many people on a daily basis when you've spent your pretty much entire summer being quiet is pretty daunting to think about.
0: It's sort of like the Sunday, like teacher Sunday is what I think of it as, like, you know, Sunday, about, like, 3 o'clock is when I start to, like, heed myself for the week and just mentally prepare myself that psychologically things are going to be different. Um, Again, like, not in a negative way, but just in a realistic, like, you are on all of the time for basically five days. And uh, that is kind of what the last few weeks of summer is like as well, is just, like, mentally preparing yourself that they are coming.
1: Very true. A perpetual state of Sunday afternoon. (laughs) Um, So we're really excited for this year Uh, I'm also really sad because Kelly is leaving me We're no longer at the same school But we have this podcast to bring us together On a bi-weekly basis Bi-weekly, every two weeks, not twice a week (laughs) <laughs> that ambiguous word gets me every single time.
0: No, I totally do that too. Yeah, we're gonna have to be long distance teacher besties, I suppose. And
1: that's okay. Mm. We both have candidates that we're working on uh, filling in, <laughs> uh, going through an interviewing process. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But you know, some besties can't be replaced.
0: Mm, yeah, just it doesn't need to be replaced. Just like new new people on campus yes. that can. We're can open compete. to new people. <laughs> we are open <laughs> to new people. If we say Except it enough times, accepting applications applicable. now. <laughs> summer winds down, um, what are we
1: going to miss? I'm definitely going to miss a lot of free time, I feel like, during the year. I uh, I love to cook, and uh, I don't, because I come home and I sit on the couch because I'm too tired to move, but summertime is my catch-up time, so I've been doing a lot of cooking and freezing. I made some pretty awesome flank steak in the slow cooker that is now in my freezer. You're so good
0: at cooking stuff (laughs) on the weekend, and, like, prepping for the week. I'm so bad at that.
1: Well, maybe this year will be practice time. can make a little uh, little schedule.
0: Oh, no. This year is Blue Apron time for me. Like, oh, yeah. I ordered the Blue Apron. It's Tuesday through Thursday meals. It is exactly what I need.
1: Excellent. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. <laughs> what else are you going to miss?
0: Um, I'm definitely going to miss reading for pleasure, ironically, as the English teacher, and I'm sure social studies as well. It's like, see you later novels. Yep. I mean, I kind of fit them in every once in a while here and there, but it usually cannot be anything too taxing. And you know, most of the time, and I am so tired, I just don't, I don't get to the reading. Me I'm too. Definitely also going to miss sleeping until 7.30. <laughs> 7.30 is a big sleep-in time for me these days.
1: That's excellent. I have to confess that usually I can't get, I can't sleep in, but for the past, like, four weeks, I've really been enjoying the 9.30 wake-up time.
0: Ooh, pre-kids wake-up times, 9.30. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent.
1: Very excellent. Today, waking up to come here was a bit of a struggle. I had to set the alarm for 8.20. <gasps> oh, yeah. yeah, next week is going to be really fun for me.
0: It's going to be rough. I actually said uh, to Sam this morning while I was feeding him that um, I was like, oh, 7.30, this is luxury life right here, sleeping in. It's going to be a rude wake-up call for both of us when we have to get up at I don't know, five forty five or something. Yeah, that's what time my alarm goes off. Five forty. Pretty standard. Yeah. All right. So what are we looking forward to? Uh
1: I really I teach freshmen. I'm teaching four sections of freshmen this year and so I like seeing them come in all nervous. Uh we're both pretty little people, so sometimes like it's funny they don't know who we are when they first walk in. It's like, Oh, you're an adult. Um and so I like learning their names and I like I like challenging myself to try to learn them by the end of the first week, so like they feel that they're not alone on campus, that there's someone else that knows them, and it makes me, gives me the warm fuzzies. I, I like love that. love
0: freshmen. They are still so wonderfully eager and, like, just try with every bit of themselves. Like, I love giving, you know, crafty stuff to freshmen because they will come back with results that just, you know.
1: This year is, a, it's going to be a shift. I'm teaching a new class that's a combo junior-senior class, so that should be fun. Mm-hmm. Um... And seniors are are lovely, especially during <laughs> the second semester. But uh, yeah. it's, it's like little baby college students, almost.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess the thing I'm looking forward to with them is just talking to them about, like, real-world stuff. You know, it's easy to talk to sophomores. Soft- we do talk to sophomores all the time about, like, you're going to need this when you go to college or you might want this skill, fill in the blank. But when you're talking to a senior... They see the end coming, and yeah. at least you know, maybe not with all of them, but at least with many of them, they sort of perk their ears up and are like, Oh, I guess I need to start listening to this lady about <laughs> the real stuff that's coming. Absolutely. And I used to
1: teach senior government, so my favorite part was talking about voting and oh, like yes. registering oh, to vote. God, this
0: year is going to be so intense, uh, well,
1: like part of most of this year and then part of next year, and so I'm hoping that maybe. 2016 to 17, I'll be able to teach senior government again, my dream class Ooh, during yeah. an election year. It's uh, very exciting.
0: Exciting and scary though. Yeah. Like, I kind of don't want to know a lot of the time those, and I also don't like getting the like, who are you gonna vote for questions, which is like, I'm not gonna tell you. Well,
1: I'm actually not registered with any political party, so mm. I just tell them like, you know, I don't get to, oh, usually I get the primary question, like who did you vote for in the primary, right. and I can't do that. So I never had an opportunity for that.
0: Yeah, you don't get to vote. No.
1: That's a disappointment, but I feel like it makes me... uh, I'm still hanging on there for the two-party system to die. Lots of of other exciting things happening in this country. Not just Democrats and Republicans.
0: Okay, speaking of this country and other countries, I was listening to NPR the other day, which probably just reveals my voting stuff right there. But um, I was listening to a story... It was very short, about three minutes, but it was about how some American students are choosing German universities for several reasons. They actually said about 4,300 Americans are studying in Germany and that the tuition is free and that in addition to that tuition being free, that the German Academic Exchange Service gives a scholarship which covers a pretty good portion of their living expenses. It's kind of amazing. I know. My ears perked up because I thought, one, we don't ever talk to our students, really, about um, international university options or studying abroad beyond just, like, the semester.
1: True, and I think most of us, at least all the people I work with, we've never really had that, I'm going to go to college in another country experience. So, I mean, most of the advice we give is limited to our own knowledge. Absolutely. Or experiences, sorry.
0: Right, and, like, I will say that when I'm sitting in on, like, the... Um, College counselor stuff. I don't usually hear them talking about um, those options. Probably also because it's not something that most students consider, so they're not as up to date on it. But I mean, one of the students that they interviewed, the the takeaway quote was, "When you're talking about free versus fifty thousand dollars, there's no contest." That's what she said. These were students that they were talking to were going to Princeton or Columbia, top tiered schools, and they were deciding between those schools and this one of these schools in germany that they focused on
1: yeah um, i mean i went to a really expensive undergrad school and something that you don't necessarily think about when you're 18 is well crap in 15 years i'm still going to be paying off these student loans and what i'm like six years seven getting yeah. how many years out of I? I don't know. I'm I'm a lot of years out, and I mean, yeah, I'm paying off my student loans by and Those aren't going to be done till like, 2040, maybe 2050. That's a really long time.
0: Side note on that, I mean, I was just reading this article about how millennials have, like, intense student debt right now, and that if you have all this student debt, like, big shocker, it makes it less likely for you to buy a house, and so it's just, like, another blockade between you and that kind of, like, financial, um, I don't know what you want to call it. Independence. Independence, I suppose, from debt, right? Yeah. But, so thinking about this as an option, um, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if we started talking to our students about this option? Like, it just seems like an untapped idea that we haven't really proposed to them.
1: True. And also, something that I know that our schools don't necessarily do is, is push all Alternatives besides international programs. I, my first year of teaching, I taught uh, in an alternative program, and they were all about trying to get people to go to West Valley or a comparable two-year school to transfer to a four. But like, there's no follow-up with statistics. And I happen to know most of those students didn't even finish those two-year programs. Like, yeah. what vocational options are there that would actually get students, or, or I guess adults, after they graduate? Adults' positions in the world where they're actually positively contributing to the economy and also for themselves
0: yeah okay so some more information background information on this story which i found interesting big this is something that's so contrary to american thoughts is that the german government thinks that paying for college is unjust (laughs) and um but also one of the legitimate reasons why they are doing this and paying for Americans and presumably other foreigners to come study there, is that they claim that if those Americans stay for even just five years and work in Germany, um, they will pay back everything that the government paid for them in taxes. So it's, like, worth it for them because they have an aging population and a lot of jobs to fill.
1: They do, and that's a model that's great for Germany, but again... The United States doesn't have an aging population at this moment in time. In fact, we're still continually growing. If you know anything about population pyramids—not you, but I guess yeah. listeners—you uh, know that ours is still very much a pyramid shape, as opposed to Germany, which yeah. is pretty much straight up and down. And I think it's an excellent model. Just yeah. I question whether our society is ready to implement a model like that.
0: Yeah. No, I'm not necessarily suggesting that they—that we should implement that here. But it's just like I think our American students, if they went there, would have such a, like, different perspective on education and probably quite an adjustment period.
1: I also feel like the article, at least the people, the American, I think it's two women that they interview, there's this notion of learning for the sake of learning versus learning for, like, a possible future career, and they really, both of them, make references to the fact that, like, they're going to sit there and they have the time to learn, versus yeah I one don't of think them that's a calls mentality. it
0: a, one of them calls it a room of her own yeah you know like quotes that and then just yeah it's it's almost this novelty that she remarks on how she has the space and time to read which I'm sure she's implying that if she went to Berkeley she would have been taking out loans plus had an extra job to pay her fabulous Berkeley rent <laughs> <laughs> oh, Berkeley yes
1: but uh, I really did like the idea and I think it would be amazing if something could potentially be replicated. Uh, the idea that community college is now working toward being free is definitely, I would say, a step in the right direction. Yeah. But then we also have that notion that, uh, especially for higher achievers, that community college isn't necessarily something that's okay to put on your resume, that you have that little stepping stone, whether it be for financial reasons, like it, it There's a they would say that. Yes, there's a stigma. It doesn't look good for them. They don't want to do it. But at what point is money more important than education? And are you getting an education that's not as comparable at a community
0: college? Well, and also it's like, I mean, a lot of kids, I think, don't realize, like, your employer is never going to see that on your resume. They're going to see that you transferred to UCLA. They're not going to see you went to SLA for two years. Absolutely, I agree.
1: And, uh, I mean, the dialogue starts with us.
0: Yeah, so continue. do you think you would recommend this to your students or, like, Absolutely. maybe uh, bring it up as an idea?
1: I definitely would. Um, I think that especially if they're a really bright kid who maybe doesn't have a silver spoon in their mouth and wants to go to a college but can't necessarily afford it, mm-hmm. it's definitely a super viable option. I would say maybe a little scary to live very far away from your family, especially mm-hmm. if you're 18. But
0: there's something to be said about it. I'm thinking of a couple students in particular that I know that, you know, maybe seemed a little bit more worldly, that seemed a little bit, or also students that often consider sort of, like, the military school option. Oh, yeah. Because they have a little bit in them of that, like, I need something to pay for my schooling, but they're also open to alternative perspectives and ideas, and I think they also consider, like, the travel aspect. So... I definitely agree.
1: I think that 18 year old me would never have done this. I would have been so terrified. But now, as an older person, I can definitely <laughs> say yes, I would love to do this. Sign me up.
0: Hmm. 18 year old me probably would not have considered this, but definitely now I would. Fun fact related to international schooling is the year that I was applying to colleges more American women applied to that school that Prince William applied to than ever before. Oh, wow. In wow. Scotland. He went to school in Scotland, right? I have no idea, but maybe I'm wrong on that. But Somewhere that in the is British true. Isles, I'm sure. Yes.
1: article on Vox.com, which I didn't actually know was a website until somewhat recently. BuzzFeed Uh, Lite. Yes. It's kind of uh, similar to Uh, BuzzFeed-ish. I guess explore it if you're interested. It's called Seven Things I Wish People Understood About Being a Teacher, and it's by this guy named Andrew Simmons, who is in fact a teacher. Uh, It seems that he started in a charter school type setting and now uh, teaches in the Bay Area. He started off in L.A., And uh, obviously, I like things that are done in lists, because I'm a very list-oriented person myself, so I really appreciated that. Uh, And so I just wanted to kind of talk through the points, the first one being that teaching has made me smarter. Uh, A lot of the times, I feel like, oh, no, I'm, oh, I guess before I was actually a teacher, I'm in the classroom, I'm going to be doing the same thing year after year, nothing is going to really enrich who I am, and, like, academically, I'm just going to falter and become kind of, like...
0: Dumb is not the right word, but a dummy. And people think that because you're teaching high school, you're thinking at a high school level, which is absolutely not true.
1: But in reality, I would say that I've become by far more quick-witted since I've taught high school. And it's not necessarily all about content. It's about creating those interpersonal skills. And so smarter in that, like, do I have all the facts of the Hundred Years War memorized? No. (laughs) Is that really that important? No way. Right. It's about finding other things that create you as a teacher and build you up as well as your students because if you're not together, how can you expect your students to even pretend to do it?
0: I'm constantly feeling like I have to read up on things and also you have to think about it from the perspective of sure you're teaching high school students high school material but or if you teach at a lower grade you're teaching them at that level but you're reading it from an adult, you're reading it several times, you're, it's like you're doing a close read every hour, so.
1: Absolutely, and a lot of the times I know that we come in, like, with our material pre-annotated and ready to go, and we're just ready to jump in, and sometimes I forget that it's a challenge for them, like, I know it, like, I can tell you where the sun is located in each season and which lines of latitude get direct rays of sunlight. But, like, if I'm teaching you that for the first time, I'm assuming you probably have no idea what I'm I'm talking talking about. about. (laughs) Like, there's no way you're going to pick that up in two seconds. And so it's remembering your context and your audience 100%.
0: Excellent. I'm ready for number two. (laughs)
1: Uh, Number two is I became a much better teacher when I put my students in charge. Dumb. That is what I have to say. I'm going to compliment us both. And say that I think we both do a very good job of this. At first, I would say it was very difficult for me not to, like, butt in when I had a comment. And, like, sometimes I kind of want to just say, like, hey, this is the finish line. Let me take you there. I can do it for you faster. It'll be amazing. But then sometimes, to be super cheesy and cliche, it's about the journey and watching your students get there themselves. You're really great at structuring Socratic seminars and... I think I've learned a lot about, like, those fishbowl inner circle, outer circle
0: conversations from you. Yeah, my students absolutely love those. Some things I do on a regular basis is they have to talk in my class to get points. Absolutely. Um, lots and lots of, like, what they call pair shares, but that works. And... Um, Just group formations. I do a lot of agree-disagree stand on the side of the room, so they physically have to participate. I sometimes play with those smart remotes, which
1: are, like, these really clunky things that look like cell phones from the late 90s, but, like, the kids (laughs) love them because they're ridiculous, and you get to vote and then talk about issues, which...
0: Oh, and they love that, um, what is that... Like, game... Kahoot. Kahoot.it. Dot IT. There was
1: recently a BuzzFeed article that came out yesterday, I think, where it showed, like, 21 things that you should be doing in your classroom, and one of
0: them was Kahoot. They do love Kahoot, Yeah. Though. Like, I'm not even kidding. They come in, and they see there's a Kahoot, and, you know, like, I'm thinking of one student in particular that's just like, oh, Kahoot!
1: <laughs> yeah. I think I know who you're talking about. For me, I do a lot of mapping Kahoot, so it's like the map of the world, and you have to identify the country but um, it's it's, much
0: better for social studies mapping.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. Three, standards like Common Core really, like the Common Core do real harm in the wrong hands. Ooh, controversial. We talk about this a lot and I guess we can talk about Common Core more throughout the year. There's definitely a place for it. Reading critically beyond just literature is super important. I don't think anyone can debate that. (laughs) No. I think maybe the debate comes in like how autonomous should you be as a professional? what um, you read yes and how you're reading it it's like are you yeah. just going to read it because it's a pretty story because there's a time and a place for that uh or are you going to try to think critically about the author and like yeah. where they come from in their perspective and I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because I'm talking to you right now but
0: yeah but okay I mean I think Common Core is getting a lot of bad like it's it gets a lot of bad press. Bad press. Um, and, you know, I'm not guilt-free of bashing Common Core, but I think the problem is is that Common Core, like any other standards-based curriculum, is, you know, the idea behind it is fabulous, and the Common Core standards themselves are pretty good. Um, and it's just the implementation, right? Like, if we end up testing our kids constantly, then... That is where you run into some problems. One of the big things that English teachers, I think, push back on is this notion that students now, under Common Core standards, are supposed to be reading 70% nonfiction, which I think is great, but um, it depends on how your school is implementing that. intend it to be for students to be reading 70% nonfiction across the board, like every subject matter. Yeah, but that frustrates
1: me too, because I mean, I'm not an English teacher. I guess I was technically at one point, but I love literature and I feel like that's kind of killing the love a little bit. And so I could sympathize a lot with the English teachers. I feel like I definitely don't have as much responsibility in the sense that like they don't take a test in my class for Common Core. Mm-hmm. I get to do more fun things, and so I don't really have the same issues, but I definitely can be sympathetic.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think the big argument for reading the more nonfiction is that we have, most of our students are not going to go to college and study literature, true, but <laughs> that's also an argument for why they should read literature in high school, because most of our students, that's where they're going to get it, and then they're going to go off into the world and not really have that opportunity to engage with like what I consider an art, and and, obviously, literature can teach other things, like how to be empathetic.
1: How to be a decent human being. Uh, silly life lessons. Not even silly. Serious life lessons, too. <laughs> you just got the eye from me. I'm sorry. <laughs> literature
0: is wonderful, and everyone should
1: read it. Always.
0: Um, okay, on that note, I'm just going to have to say that we need to, like, I think, skip number four and come back to it. Okay and go straight to number seven number seven let me flip teaching what is it teaching Teaching has
1: made me me a better person yeah a hundred percent because
0: let me just say what i wrote down what would atticus do (laughs) because when i'm teaching to kill a mockingbird i completely feel like a hypocrite if i'm not thinking about like the morals and values that i'm trying to teach them through literature true and right there is why you need to keep teaching literature (laughs)
1: Uh, So, I guess big picture. Um, We don't really necessarily have to talk about the other ones. Uh, We'll get back to seven in a second. This idea that teachers act like teenagers, um, this idea of a super teacher, and uh, summer vacations aren't really breaks. All those things are true, and uh, if you're a teacher listening to this, clearly, you already know this stuff. Like, we're professionals. (laughs) We spend time going to professional school to get a credential. Clearly, we're not teenagers.
0: Yeah. Um, But... That's my only qualm with this one, is that we do not act like teenagers. Yes, I see people acting, in like, unprofessionally in certain um, meetings and whatnot, but I don't think that it's the majority.
1: No, but the better person thing, I think, is the biggest takeaway, clearly why this guy, Andrew Simmons, made it number seven. Uh, that definitely there's a lot of empathy Uh, A lot of people who aren't teachers forget sometimes, and even teachers forget what it's like to be in high school, how many things are going on at the same time. And just remembering, like, fundamentally at the end of the day, you're talking to, like, a 14-year-old kid. Yeah. They're 14, and you're probably at least 15 years older than them. So just remember what it was like when you were 14 and how somebody would have wanted, or how you would have wanted somebody to treat you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely, no joke, feel like I am a better human being every year, mostly because, I mean, I'm I'm a sassy person by nature. That is the word that my students generally use for me when I snap. Oh, I get them, sarcastic more than sass. That I am sassy. And sometimes I'm like a smidge proud of that, but then I remember that... You know, sometimes in my sassy moments, I'm making them not feel great, and I think every year I have fewer and fewer of those, and more moments where I just go, like, breathe. They're ultimately a child, and they ultimately just want you to, you know, treat them with respect and and empathy.
1: But this is an interesting article, and uh, we'll post the link to it. You can definitely read it. He has a great perspective. He does a lot of other writing for, I think he wrote for slate for a little bit and or he does contribute and the Atlantic which is a great publication in case you forgot.
0: Okay wait one more thing can you read number six to me? Summer vacations aren't really breaks. Okay I feel like teachers are constantly having to defend the fact that they have summer vacation. I agree. One thing that people need to note is yes one we get summer vacation get over it. (laughs) <laughs> we also don't get vacation any other, like we get the breaks that the kids break. That is our vacation. It is built into our contract, just the way that when you, if you took a contract position with someone else, you would know how much vacation you get true there are other perks of other jobs that we don't get like say when i have to pee at ten forty five a.m guess what i don't get to just get up from my desk and walk out of the room no
1: way and if you're lucky enough to get like a campus supervisor to come cover your class and you can run out for a minute but sometimes you don't have a choice
0: yeah and i don't complain about the perks of other people's jobs i mean except right now when i'm doing that <laughs> but i'm just saying like like stop I just feel like stop taking on the perks of teaching. There aren't many, except for interacting with awesome kids, but there aren't many, like, job perks. So just, like, give us our summer vacation.
1: <laughs> I agree. Although, in an ideal world, and I don't know if you agree with this, school would be all year, six weeks on, two weeks off for the entire year.
0: Disagree. Hate that idea, and the reason why is because I absolutely love summer. It is, like, my favorite time to not be working I like to garden I like to get out <laughs> you will also agree with me when you have a kid that is in school year system because that's when you get to actually spend time with them
1: I guess that's valid I don't have that life experience yet <laughs> but we'll agree to
0: disagree agree to disagree okay so the last thing I want to talk about is this um I was listening to KQED's forum the other day, um, which my husband would make fun of me for listening to because he does not like that program. But But, he doesn't like the car talk, so... No, he doesn't like the car talk either. That's okay. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I thought it was actually pretty interesting because there was this woman who was the former dean of freshmen at Stanford named Julie lithgott Haynes. She has a book out now called How to Raise an Adult, Break Free of the Overparenting Trap, and Prepare Your Child for Success. That is a long title.
1: It's kind of an excellent title.
0: (laughs) It is. Um, Her whole thing is that she believes, quote, kids are not quite fully formed as humans right now, like this generation, and that they're coming to Stanford as freshmen, as these kids that have these, like, ridiculously great resumes and transcripts, but that they're constantly, as she says, scanning the sidelines for parents and um, childhoods, and that like everything is deliberately and carefully planned, that they chose nothing in their life, that their parents basically curated a resume for them in order to get into these top colleges. Um, she tells this story about a freshman at Stanford who she saw helplessly standing on the sidewalk, surrounded by boxes, he did not know how to move the boxes into his dorm because it was a two- or three-person job, and rather than just simply ask somebody around him in his dorm, he stood on the sidewalk like, I'm going to stand here and die with the boxes around me, Yeah. Um, and then the parents called the um, resident advisor of the dorm instead of the kid going to do it, and then the resident advisor had to, you know, basically help him, but... It took the parents' calling, was her point. You know, she says our job as parents is to put ourselves out of a job, that we won't be here forever, and that they can't depend on us, which I totally agree with.
1: Yeah, I like she she used the phrase uh, that parents won't be there for the long view, and uh, I appreciated that. I thought that was a nice a nice way to phrase that. Or, yeah, like, she, preparing for the long view, I think is what she said.
0: Yeah, she also referenced those parents in Massachusetts who have, like, a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old. I think it's Maryland. Oh, thanks, Maryland. Yeah. Maryland, Massachusetts. I'm not an East Coast person. You know me. It all just smooshes together. That's okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that one was ten, one was six. They were basically walking to the park, and they got picked up by CPS eventually and, like, lectured and told, like, that, you know, they were put under, like, terrible CPS restrictions, I think. Um, her point is that a ten-year-old should probably be able to walk to the park by themselves.
1: Absolutely, especially in the safe neighborhood, which those children lived in with parental consent.
0: Right. Um, She goes on to talk about how the baby boomers became helicopter parents and that, like, subsequent generations of parents just, like, mimicked their helicoptering, that they advocated for their children rather than teaching them how to go to bat, that they are constantly arguing with principals, teachers, um, coaches in order to get whatever they want for their child and then as a result their child never learns how to advocate for themselves um do you see this at our former school or around you yeah of course and to an extent I don't necessarily
1: think that having parents that are involved Mm -hmm. is a bad thing I think absolutely if you're young it's hard to figure out how to advocate for yourself appropriately Mm -hmm. and um sometimes and I'm sure both of us at some point have been uh have done this, that you don't necessarily listen wholeheartedly to what a child is saying versus what another adult is saying. So, I to an extent, I think that active parenting that's what I'll call it is a great thing, but there's definitely a step too far, mm-hmm. and I I think that we both have seen this throughout our years of teaching.
0: Oh, yeah. I think some of those steps too far would be when grades are due, you see sort of the clingy parents hanging around your room looking like they're going to ask for a grade bump. Absolutely.
1: Um, I've gotten some very nice presents over the course of the years that I've been there. That seem a little bit like bribes. Yes. This year I got a really generous Amazon gift card at a very weird time. Like Mm. the parent came and found me at lunch on campus in the middle of January. Mm -hmm. And also some really good hand lotions hmm. that said stress relief on them. That was entertaining. Yeah. I think, though, something that she mentions later in a question, I'm not sure if she addresses this in her book, is that it's definitely an upper-middle-class problem.
0: Oh, yes. I put hashtag middle-class, upper-middle-class
1: problems. Oh. <laughs> I'd be curious if that's actually a hashtag.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm um, sure it is. <laughs> I'm sure it is, too. But uh, she, she later says that... Uh, Kids who are from a lower socioeconomic status have developed a different skill set than the middle class kids, that the middle class kids maybe are academically more successful in a traditional sense, but these other kids are creating more, more... Uh, of, grit. She says yes, the word grit. she does. She uses that word a lot. That yeah. frustrated me. Uh, they're more street smart, I think she also says <laughs> at one point, and that they're able to do these things on their own, and I guess... She, she had good intentions when she created the position of Dean of Student Services for incoming Freshman. students. yeah. Because she said that she wanted it in order to, like, help students who didn't have parents that went to college. Right. But what wound up happening was that she wound up helping students.
0: Who were coddled and by parents who had gone to college and were upper middle class. And yeah. Yeah. And so I guess what I'm thinking <clears throat> as someone who's been through college, like,
1: to what extent is that the role of a TA in a dorm what they're called, no? An RA, RA. Yeah, RA. In a dorm versus the, the dean of students.
0: I forgot hmm. her title already. Okay, hold on though, back it up, because I do want to touch on that working class versus middle and upper middle class, like, dynamic, but I, I also think that, I mean, to her credit, I think that she makes a lot of great points, and I definitely think that we see this Effect of the helicopter parenting, I definitely see it when I'm having a meeting with a parent, and they don't even consider to invite their student. Or everything is what are we going to do, and we means parent and teacher. <laughs> and it means nothing about the student. Um, and I think in that in that respect, you know, I always find myself trying to say like, what is the student going to do, and how are we going to support them? Yeah,
1: and I think a lot of the time, a lot of my frustrations from the fact that like I get nervous for kids to leave high school like if they can't figure out how to do it now how are they gonna figure out how to do it in like four years by themselves and she she talked about skills that are needed both coping and when to ask for help
0: And and she notes how um these students that she says are coming in also cannot deal with um basic criticism which I do think we see a lot. Yes. And, and that's not to say that students should be criticized all the time, but that they do need to transition into a point where they can be criticized because college professors are not going to be nice no. to them, the way that high school teachers are. I agree. <sighs> I think we're both pretty fond of the compliment
1: and then critique method. Yes. And uh, I, don't, I don't remember <laughs> that happening in college very often. No. If
0: ever. Um, one of my favorite stories that she tells is – um, that a twi- that twenty one year olds were threatening to tell their parents that they were going to get an A minus. <laughs> um, that seemed pretty silly to me. The other thing that I wanted to criticize her on a little bit is that. A lot of these parents are cultivating these resumes and holding their child's hand all the way through 18 because they are so afraid of these competitive admissions and they, they want to do everything they can to help their child get into one of these top schools. And to you know, one of the faults, I think, of her argument was that at least in this interview, I don't know what she says necessarily in the book, because full disclosure, I did not read it, Neither did I. (laughs) We just listened to her talk, but um, she takes no responsibility for Stanford or schools like Harvard, Columbia, Princeton, your alma mater NYU for uh, like basically creating this. I mean, what should admissions be doing in order to allow students to you know basically not feel like they have to be a super kid in academics while also being the
1: all stars. Person. Yeah,
0: and also basically not having any of these other things that she claims makes them well-rounded, like doing chores and sleeping.
1: Oh, yeah, sleeping. She talked about that a lot. And I know a lot of our students don't sleep. Like,
0: Yeah, the they laugh of, when you say they should get eight hours at least. They just laugh at you.
1: Yeah, like it's, it's an impossibility. And I know both of us are pretty limited on the homework that we give, but oh, yeah. she, she mentions that as part of it, that homework should be limited and homework should only be the most crucial things, which, duh... As professional teachers, no one's going to give silly homework. Like, yeah, I can't even think of a silly assignment right now. Worksheets, Worksheets that are yeah.
0: not meaningful.
1: Like, I know our colleagues don't do that. No. And so it's how much is too much. And also, again, going back to that idea of the, the international German school, like, do you need to go to that prestigious university? She makes a point in saying that it doesn't really matter for employers later on what school you go to as long as you have a degree yet at the same time I felt like she was being slightly hypocritical because she I I believe she I mean I don't know where she went to her undergrad so I can't say that but like she's promoting Stanford and um and she she works there so clearly she must be interested in something that they're doing
0: right yeah I, I felt like she needed to take a little bit more responsibility on the university end because it really is I think coming top down um And she also ironically says that if your kid has too much homework, you should, like, basically pull the plug and tell the the teachers that you're, like, not going to do it, which I thought was kind of a little bit, like, going back to the, what the typical helicopter parent would do, which would be, like, to step in and say, like, you know, uh,
1: would you get an email saying, excuse me, teacher? Yeah. This is too much homework. Right. Or I think we we might need to not even get an email. I feel like we would get parent work. Like, visible parent work.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that she has a lot of really good points, but I would have really liked to have seen what... What she thinks these colleges are responsible for, what are these, especially like the top 10 schools, what are they doing in order to change their admissions? I have a friend who works at a pretty good liberal, very small liberal arts school, sort of in the Oberlin fashion. They are changing their admissions. They're not even using the SAT anymore because, one, they've shown that grades are the best predictor of how they're going to do in college, and um, two, they want to discourage all of those things like... Having to pay for SAT courses and having to have that as an extra stressor to just stretch you thin.
1: To counter that, people would obviously argue that it's been it's been I'm going to make air quotes here good for so long. Why would we want to change that system? And it's, it's definitely some
0: kids. It's definitely <laughs> good
1: for some, but totally disenfranchising a large portion of our potential college going population.
0: Yeah, which brings me back to the working class kids, right? I thought the great, my favorite part was when the SJSU, or excuse me, San Jose State University professor... Oh, she was great. ...calls in and pushes back on the and says basically that a lot of her kids are first-generation working-class kids, and that oftentimes they, they might, you know, have what this woman calls street smarts in some ways. Like, they certainly would know to get off their butt and ask somebody to move their damn boxes, <laughs> but... On the flip side, they sometimes don't have the cultural capital, which is were her words, yes. to um, like know how to navigate the world and no, as not someone, the world,
1: the academic me, world.
0: Academic world, thank you. Yeah. And as someone who went to San Jose State University as a first generation person, I would say like I definitely saw that around me because I would apply for scholarships and there would be nobody and I would get it because on default, yeah. No one would apply for it. So you know, she kind of calls that out as like, oh, aren't you nice for fluffing up the working class kids, but they also are missing out on things that these upper class parents are basically teaching their kids how to network and how to push back and how to get whatever they want, whatever means necessary if you have to scream and, you know, bloody murder and threaten, you know, which is not nice, but they guess what? They get what they want. I really like,
1: I mean, let's end on a positive, because it was a it was an interesting talk, despite its flaws. Definitely. And uh, I would say a big takeaway for me, I mean, it's yeah. something I already knew, but that kids need to have need to be able to walk alone one day. And so yeah. as a parent, as an educator, as someone invested in a child's life in some capacity, just setting up that skill set for them to be able to move on without you.
0: Yeah, and I would say as a parent, I definitely agree with her parenting style, which is like, you know, the idea of... You want to start getting them doing things like their laundry and life type things early on. Guess what? That means you also don't have to do it. Like, you know, step back. Make them do those things. And then, you know, maybe when they go off to college, you'll you'll um, not have to call them every time when they're trying to figure out how to navigate, you know, something bureaucratic. or yeah. maybe
1: you'll just be able to have a normal conversation with them
0: would be great yeah I would love that so I guess we should say goodbye okay so we will say goodbye thanks um, for listening to yeah, our whole first podcast even if it's just you moms <laughs> 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 um I hope it's at least some of our teacher friends too and maybe like they will spread the word so spread the word um it was our first one so like give us a little break like maybe we'll get better and less stiff and, and not maybe we'll definitely
1: get better definitely it's get a matter better. of figuring out the tech but yeah. thanks for hanging in there with us.
0: Um, we need to plug all of our things. Like right now, you can see us on Tumblr. Yes, we have a Tumblr. podcast.tumblr.com And we also have an email, at gmail.com So if you have comments that are not mean, well, you can be critical, but like don't be a jerk. Um, you can send us an email. <laughs> teacherfesties at gmail.com or if you have a question or you have an article we should talk about, um, that would be good and we'll talk to you in two weeks.